What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our opening day show where we're talking about pregame for Northern Arizona. Uh, Michigan State's hosting Arizona the season opener for both teams. Actually, I think it's the season opener for all of college basketball. And before we get going, I wanted to send along our thanks. Uh, we are very humbled by all the support we've gotten from people from either via PayPal or Venmo or patrons on Patreon. We have a new Cleves donor. Uh, from Brian O'Donnell. He will be getting his t-shirt at some point once we get that designed. It's in the works. And also a PayPal donation, one-time donation from Dave Kramer. Thank you so much, guys, for helping us keep this community going and uh, not behind a paywall. You can, of course, visit our site at tffinots.com slash support to support the show, or you can just go to the website and just kind of tool around there. You can find our episodes, and obviously you can get to our forum where it's free to interact with other Spartan fans on our board. But let's talk about Northern Arizona. The Lumberjacks are coming in. This is the first time meeting between the two teams. Northern Arizona is coached by Shane Bucar, who is entering his fourth year at the helm for the Lumberjacks. He's a native of Hancock, Michigan, which is probably in part explains uh, why these teams are matched up. He's from what, the UP. Uh, Northern Arizona is coming off a tough season. They were 9-23 overall, 5-15 in the league in the big sky where they finished last in 10th place. And in Ken Palm, they finished the season ranked 334. What are they, like 350 teams? So it's <laughs> pretty bad. They were uh, 307th in offense and even worse, 340th on defense. They were atrocious in everything in defense except defensive rebounding where they were ranked 30th nationally. Other than that, this team had all kinds of problems everywhere. They couldn't shoot. They couldn't defend. They turned the ball over a lot and didn't generate any turnovers in defense. Shane Bucar inherited a really tough job, and he's definitely got his... Uh, it's going to be a tough season for him. Either, although they are returning all five starters, it's sort of like the old joke. The good thing is we have all five guys returning. Right. The bad news is all five guys returning. Yeah, um, this is a very tough job. And um, historically, it's been a tough job. Uh, just to put it into perspective, they've only had seven winning seasons overall out of the last 20 years they've played. So that's not just conference games. That's <laughs> yeah. everything. Um, maybe puts it in even uh, darker perspective. They've also had seven seasons out of the last 20 where they haven't managed to win double digit games overall. <laughs> if you look at the track record, there's a lot of years where it's nine wins, five wins, that kind of thing. So it's tough. I will without going into too much detail. Um, I used to know somebody who was a head coach at Northern Arizona way back in the, uh, 
early 1980s. Um, and I think it was a tough job then. And uh, it remains a tough job. Um, but you mentioned the connection. I'm, and I'm pretty sure I had heard this, that the fact that um, their head coach was from the UP was part of the reason why this connection was made for the opener. And, and, and obviously MSU wanted to get a game like this before they head into this unbelievable gauntlet <laughs> yeah, of games right. we're going to see between now and and say um you know early december i mean the next the next three weeks or so next three four weeks are going to be filled with high level basketball so if you like good competition you're going to really like what you see uh, on michigan state schedule but it's going to be tough so this one gives msu an opportunity uh to see this team at work uh as you mentioned They've got five starters back. They also brought in a ton of guys. They brought in, um, and it's hard for me to understand this. It has to, must have to be due to um, COVID, I guess. They've they returned seven guys, and I didn't drill down to see if any of these guys were walk-ons or not. But they returned seven guys, and they've got ten newcomers, three transfers and seven true freshmen. So it's pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting scenario uh, with the Lumberjacks. You know, as you said, a lot of guys back, all the starters, but is that a good thing when <laughs> yeah. you're talking about a nine-win right. team? Well, some of the, a couple of these guys actually are intriguing players, so I could see why uh, there might be some small feelings of optimism that maybe things are going to get better. Last season, they finished dead last in the big sky. This year, um, coaches projected them to be tied for seventh, and media had them eighth. So a little improvement, not a lot, but uh, that's probably, I would assume, mostly attributable to the fact that they are bringing everybody back. Um, but that's, that's what MSU's facing. So a team that certainly knows each other, but you know how, how how much of a positive is that we'll we'll see so let's just talk about the starters for northern arizona we'll begin with jalen cone he's a 511 junior guard started his career at virginia tech he was actually there when i think they beat michigan state right uh back in yes he would have when been. was that uh 2019 or something the covid year 2019 okay. yep uh so he averaged 18.8 points a game on 39 35 and 83 shooting he got to the line with some frequency averaging four and a half free throws a game and so, obviously, the expectation is that with someone who was playing the D, the high D1 level, Power 5, that he's going to uh, probably be a little more challenged, although he is obviously challenged with height at only 5'11". Yeah, and, and he's – I'm just looking as we're, as we're talking about it. He actually played nine minutes in that game at Maui. He was one for one from the floor, uh, two points, had two rebounds, and three personal fouls. So he has seen Michigan State before. Um, he's their best player. Look, he's a preseason, all big sky choice, uh, averaged almost 19 a game last year, decent shooter, not great, but good enough on high volume. And he's also a dynamic guy. He averaged like three and a half assists per game. The problem is he actually had three more turnovers than he had assists on the season. So yes, he'll make things happen, but he also may make things happen for the opponent as well. So that's that's the downside when you're talking about him, I think, is that 
very loose with the ball, and yet he's a ball-dominant guard. So they're probably just going to have to live with mistakes unless he's really tightened it up. Yeah, and you wonder, too, a guard like that, if he's – I imagine a lot of his thing is getting in the lane, and I would he's going to probably struggle as an undersized guard against Michigan State with their uh, – with, I think, a pretty good defense on the at the point. Yeah, that's good. That's actually a good point. So he averaged four and a half free throw attempts per game last year, which is pretty good. It's not quite Maryland point guard <laughs> under Mark Turgeon standards, but it's good. Um, so that's a big part of his game for sure. Will he be able to get a lot of that done? I mean, I thought in the first half of the Grand Valley State game, uh, particular A.J. Hogard, I did not think was great. In terms of dribble denial, he got better as the game went on. But obviously, we saw Tyson Walker and I think Trey Holloman both show up well. And we may see Jaden Nakins playing in this one, too. So uh, as long as he's okay over the weekend here in terms of uh, his condition after practice, he should see some minutes as well. So that will be interesting. Look, Michigan State, clearly Cone is top of the scouting uh, chart for uh, the scouting report for them. Um, he's their main scorer. He's a ball dominant guard. He's not their best playmaker, but he's the only guy in their starting lineup. That's a conventional guard. So, um, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot regardless. And Michigan state's going to need to be focused on him and making it as tough as they possibly can. And this is actually really, from a starting rotation, this is actually a really big team outside of Jalen Cohn because Very the next, uh, next one we'll talk about is Nick Maines. He's a 6'8", fifth-year senior. Uh, so he's kind of not a guard, but he's going to play from the perimeter a lot. He averaged 11.5 points a game on 43, 40, and 81 shooting last season and also had a lot of rebounds, a little over five a game. Right. This was not a great three-point shooting team. I think they were sub 35% as a team, not horrific. It was <laughs> shockingly, which tells you probably as much as you need to know about Northern Arizona. That was one of the things they did best <laughs> where they were in like the one fifties nationally <laughs> other than defensive rebounds is for those who might be familiar with Ken Palm, you know, it's there's a kind of a color shading. If you're really good in an area, it's green. And if you're really bad, it's red. And then there's shading in between. There's a whole lot of red <laughs> on the Northern Arizona profile. But but this kid is actually the one really, really legitimately good three-point shooter that they have coming back. So he will, and he was their second leading scorer. So he will be important to their attack as well. But as you said, not really a conventional guard. Cone's really the only one. Um, so I, I wonder, and we'll get into this maybe a little bit when we get into the keys, you wonder with the kind of ball pressure and maybe more aggression than we're used to seeing from uh, Michigan State's guards that we saw in the Grand Valley game, you wonder if we see that again, um, what it might do to a team that only has really one real guard in the lineup, and that guy makes a lot of mistakes or has a track record of right, it. Right, yeah. I mean, Michigan State had over, what, 13 steals in the last game, right? So, yeah. Uh, 12 I think steals it was 12. Thir- yeah. No, no. 13 steals right. and 12 blocks or something. Uh, 13. Yeah, because it was um, 
it was 13. They had three guys with one apiece, and then Hogard and Walker combined yeah, right, for 10. Exactly. So, which is yeah. crazy. Um, all right, so well, let's talk to the next players. Keith Heyman, uh, he's also a six, he's six seven junior. He averaged 9.8 points a game on 36, 36, and 55 shooting. Uh, so he'll obviously be, I guess, you're one another person who may be able to be a little bit of a threat at the perimeter. Another guy who will be looking to help them from deep. Yeah. And then Carson Tout, 6'7", also 235-pound sophomore. He was uh, had a good season last year as a freshman. He averaged eight, almost 8.5 eight points a game on 49% from the floor. He was not an outside shooter, though. But he was terrible at the line at only 46%. Although we did not mention it in the last game that that was one of the worst free throw per- uh performance I've ever seen by a team coming against Michigan State with Grand Valley was shooting 9% from the line until they hit their last two. Uh, but anyway, then uh, Carson Tout also uh, led the team in rebounding with uh, almost nine a game. And he had a lot of assists too, 3.7 a game with so a two to one assist to turnover ratio for someone who I'm assuming is playing the four probably. He is. And that's, this is a guy I'm actually kind of interested to see because you, you don't, typically see guys with his profile and to be that effective that young he's actually his third year in the program he's a redshirt sophomore but still his only his second year of actually playing pretty impressive he's definitely a point forward and it's not uh those assist numbers are not by accident uh from what i understand about how northern arizona plays they truly do try to play through him a lot so, you know, if you think about guys like, and there aren't a lot of examples of this, but obviously Draymond mm-hmm. Green was a guy who played that way for Michigan State. If you think about how Wisconsin played when they had Ethan Happ, they ran a lot through him. I think this kid has a roughly similar role, if not exactly the same thing going stylistically. But, you know, it also intriguing that, you know, sometimes you'll see that, and, and I mentioned Green and Happ specifically because, they're good comparison points in this sense in that they were actually legitimately big guys. You know, sometimes what I think of point forwards, the, the first guy I think of is really the first guy who came into Vogue doing that, Scottie Pippen with the Bulls. Uh, Scottie Pippen was a small forward, obviously. But to see a guy who also leads your team in rebounding, that's an interesting trick to turn when you lead your team in, in rebounding and assists. And the fact that he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, that ratio is yeah. pretty good, you know, at two to one. So he's an intriguing player to me. We'll, we'll see what, what they get from him in this game. Yeah, and finally for starters, Ezekiel Richards. He's 6'10", 250-pound junior, started 19 games last year and uh, averaged 4.8 points a game, 3.8 rebounds a game, and a block a game and shooting 52% from the floor and 81% from the line. Yeah, you know, legitimately a big body. I mean, a Big Ten-sized five-man. Um, so that's a positive for Northern Arizona. Not not huge, huge production, but solid season a year ago. He started, he wasn't a consistent starter, but he did start, I think they played 31 games, and he started 19 of them. So, you know, more than half the time he was the guy. And then we'll talk about the reserves. Uh, first would be Xavier Fuller. He's a 6'5", transfer wing from South Dakota. He averaged 9.5 points a game last season and shot 42% overall, but only 26% from three, which at South Dakota probably means you don't see the floor a whole lot. Yeah, well, he did play a lot, but um, but yeah, not, not much shooting success. He's an interesting situation in that uh, he actually played high school basketball for his now current coach at Northern Arizona. Oh. 
So that's uh, I found that I found that interesting to see that there was that that history, and that's one of the reasons why, when he decided to grad transfer, he opted to uh, he opted to come to Northern Arizona to play for his old coach. Um, you know, they need, as I said, they don't have much in the way of actual guards, so at least returning. So they needed to add some guys that even if they're not point guards could just give them more uh, usual guard play, you know, conventional guard type right. players. And he definitely fits in in that category. And he will be uh, he will be a guy that plays a, a definite role for them. Next would be Liam Lloyd. He's six five junior transfer from Grand Canyon, son of Arizona coach Tommy Lloyd. Only averaged 0.7 points a game last season, and uh, I guess unclear what what difference will be uh, moving to a different venue. Yeah, he did have 10 points in their exhibition. Um, so I do, th- and they seem to be they seem to be sold on him. Um, in fact, uh, Northern Arizona's coach mentioned in an article I read that uh, he would have recruited Lloyd out of high school. If he had, he committed early to Grand Canyon. Yeah. So by the time he signed on as a, um, as part of Northern Arizona staff, he said, yeah, I would have been all over him, but, um, he was already committed. So there wasn't really an opportunity. So I think he's got a chance to get into that playing group as well. Finally, be Trent McLaughlin. He's a six, five transfer wing from central Connecticut. He averaged 5.8 points a game and shot 40% from three. And so, you know, he may be one of the answers at the perimeter for this team. Yep, same thing. You know, they're gonna they're gonna um, bring these um, these three transfers in. They're all kind of actual wings, and uh, you know, good size. You know, six four, six five range, and they have a need for that. You know, and if you can actually hit threes, so much the better. Yeah, and so then they're, the freshman class is huge, like you mentioned earlier. There's seven freshmen coming in. Um, you know, I guess it's sort of a, a crapshoot as to who's going to be on the floor a lot. Uh, the ones you we guess would be Oakland Fort, Jack Wickstroll, and Diego Camposano. Uh, Fort's the, a point guard, right? Yeah, I'm basing that on uh, the minutes that they played in their exhibition yeah. game. So it is a guess, but it's a slightly educated <laughs> guess. Yeah, well, and it's it's hard without you know you you can use the Ken Palm are certainly helpful, but until you have an idea how a team plays, you don't really know why someone's turning the ball over a bunch. Is it because they're throwing into the stands, or is it because they're driving the lane and getting stripped, or you know, it's hard to know what the problems are for to sort of make sense of the numbers sometimes. I would I would assume that a big part of it is that they just have not been playing a lot of guys that are actually ball handlers by trade. Yeah. Right. When you've got a lineup, we talked about the size, which is true. But the flip side of that is you only have one natural guard and he's not really proven to be particularly reliable. So it's kind of easy to understand on the surface now whether all these additions, you know, one of the freshmen uh, fort is actually another point. He's a point guard. So that gives them another option that maybe they didn't have last season. We'll see if those wing transfers they brought in are um, are able to help some. They're, none of them are really point guards, but you know you could imagine them improving the overall circumstances maybe a little bit. Uh, so we'll we'll see. But um, 
Yeah, it was a real problem. I mean, when you're bad enough in that area that you make MSU look good <laughs> in turnover percentage, that's that's saying something, and that's the case with this and, team. And it and like we mentioned before, right? Like you could, if you if you turn the ball over, if you're shooting at a high percentage, it's okay. But they're not shooting well either. So yeah, that makes a big. That's that's a really bad one too. It's I go back to the Ken Palm. A lot of red. <laughs> a whole lot of red. So then let's discuss the five keys to the game. Uh, number one, uh, defensive glass. Yeah, I mean, this is, look, this is going to be the, and, and longtime listeners of our show know that this is the way it tends to go. We tend to find a particular point or two that is important for Michigan State, and it comes up over and over and over in these keys until they address it. And this is where we're starting this season, because I think it's really critical. It's not, it's not saying that if Michigan State isn't vastly improved in that area, they can't have a decent season. But I believe it's going to be difficult for them to have a great season if they're not. I think it really limits their ceiling if they can't get significantly better. Um, look, an exhibition game is what it is, right? Uh, it's yeah. not, and I hate that cliche, but I'm, I'm using it anyway. Uh, it doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot in the greater scheme of things. But, I mean, there was a Michigan State team that lost an exhibition to Grand Valley and ended up in the Sweet 16 right, that yeah. year, you know? So you don't take too much. But I do think that's a point of emphasis, and it's something that if we know they got to be a lot better, what do you think Tom Izzo thinks about it, right? Uh, yeah. I think everybody knows it's no mystery. This is an area Michigan state really struggled in and they've got to get better if they're going to really take a step forward as a, as a group overall. And we have one limited use data point, but it does exist. The performance against grand Valley, it was not good. You know, grand Valley had a 33% offensive rebound rate. That's not a disaster number, but it's not a good number. A good number is, I mean, where you would start as a at a Michigan State standard, where you would start to think, okay, that's a decent performance, would definitely be sub 30%. And you'd really like to see it in the mid or low 20s. That would be where you'd feel really good about what you did. 33% against a Division II team, that's not a great, it's not a great indicator. You know? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, um, we'll see. I mean, I think if Jade Nakins is back and again, he's, he has started practicing Izzo has said the standard is, can he do these, you know, three, four consecutive days of practice, uh, without having a pain management issue. And if he can, then he'll play. He didn't say how much he'll play. I doubt, I doubt he'll start, which is where we expect him to end up eventually. Uh, but we'll see how much he plays if he does, in fact, play. Um, but he's a guy we expect will help. Right. He will help. He yep. should. He has the tools, the physical tools and the mindset from what we saw last year to be a guy who should be a positive factor. But I, I go back to something I've been beating the drum on in one way or another for a few years now. I think the crux of the problem is at least as much, if not more, with the perimeter group, with the wings, 
than it is Michigan State's big men. And until that gets better, until those guys, so we're talking about, you know, the uh, the Pierre Brookses, the Malik Calls when he's playing the three, the Jaden Akins, these people, until you start seeing them really doing the job, it's going to be hard for Michigan State to get a lot better. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it was a, it was a little bit encouraging to see that Hogarth had, I think, five rebounds uh, last game, too. So at least, you know, that's where you and he's six, four. You should expect him to get some. Right. He's actually and I go back to, you know, it's not game in, game out. But A.J. Hogarth is a guy I don't necessarily have big problems with as a rebounder. I, I tend to focus more on the wing group. I think Hogarth does a pretty decent job. Um, it's those other guys that have just, I'm not, I'm not asking anybody individually to be Charlie bell, but they've just got to be better. And it's a, and I'll admit it's a hard thing at Michigan state because, um, Michigan state as a program, we all know this wants to run. And so part of your programming is when a missed shot happens as a wing, you need to run your lane, right? You want to be heading the other way. The problem is you've got to balance that with your responsibilities to clean up the the defensive rebounding and to not let teams get second shots. And particularly in an environment where, you know, more and more teams have an emphasis on shooting threes, you're going to have longer rebounds, which are going to be out of the traditional area around the rim where you expect missed shots to go. You have a lot more shots that kick out further. That puts pressure on your wing group to do more, in my opinion, at least. And I think that's where Michigan State has suffered. When I, when I think about MSU's rebounding troubles on the defensive end in recent years, while it has happened in an individual game here or there, I don't really think about, wow, you know, the opposing team's five just, just killed them. Yeah. You know, just tattooed them around the rim. I don't think of that a lot. I think of a lot of guards and small forwards getting their way to long rebounds. That's what I think of. And that's what's got to get stopped. Yeah. And I think there, to your point, there's a balance of getting down the court for the fast break where, you know, if you're the wing, it's, it's just as important for you to get that secure that rebound because you're already halfway. If you were securing the rebound, you're probably partway on the break anyway. You're probably you're not under the basket, right? And so you should still be able to run the break okay, even in that situation, versus you know trying to clean up un- under the boards. I I just think Michigan State's Michigan State's perimeter guys just have not consistently had that kind of mentality that you need to have. Now I'm encouraged that I think they've got some guys now, Holloman being one, even though I wouldn't expect him to be a huge rebounding factor. He's got length, but maybe more importantly, he's got a mindset that, you know, that's a guy who I think knows what it means to go hard for the ball, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's where it's got to change. Just a, a little bit more grit, a little bit more toughness to get that done. So number two would be tempo. So, you know, obviously the break didn't really work out too well in the exhibition game. I mean, can we get a tempo and have an up and down game a little bit more with a team that has probably some struggles with handling the ball would be to your advantage? Well, that's what's going to be interesting to me. So conventionally, what we think about with the Michigan State break is you need to do a good job getting clean defensive rebounds and and then 
pushing the ball off makes. Yep. Right. But there's a couple things going on here. So one is the clean rebounds. I, I went back and looked at that box score in the Grand Valley game. And what really disturbed me going back to the defensive rebounding is Grand Valley had nine team rebounds. So most of our listeners probably know what that means, but a team rebound is where the ball goes off somebody. And you either, if you're on offense, you maintain possession, or if you're on defense, the ball turns over to you. So in a, in a, from a practical point of view, what that means is those are contested plays, right? Mm -hmm. Where multiple guys are going to the ball, but if a team, let's say a team's on offense, they miss a shot, but they're able to at least get a hand on the rebound and deflect it. And worse yet, if they deflect it off, you as the defender, they keep possession. Nine is a lot. And that told me that grand Valley was very active and Michigan state maybe wasn't or wasn't able to combat their activity level. maybe to put a finer point on it. Those kind of plays are going to make it harder to get into transition. It's not just even about getting defensive rebounds. It's about getting clean defensive rebounds because if it's a contested defensive rebound, that makes it harder to get an advantage going down back down the floor. Yeah. Right. If you have a hard time securing it. So that's where Michigan state's got to be better to get the break going. Uh, on the flip side, we said Northern Arizona last year, turnover heavy team, right? Michigan state in the game against grand Valley, as much turnover generation with their guards as I think I've ever seen. And, and I actually don't think it's a fluke. I'm not saying they're going to have 13 steals a game, <laughs> yeah. but, but I do think this, and, I, and we saw it at times last year too, because of their personnel, Tyson Walker in particular is a guy who can get steals without gambling. He can get steals and still be playing defense the way Izzo wants it played. Uh, I think Trey Holloman could be that kind of guy. A.J. Hogard has a knack for it at times. So they've got some play Jade Nakins when he's back. So they've got some guys who can do that. It could be that in this game, turnover generation is actually what helps get Michigan State into transition, which is not their normal equation. But it might be in this kind of matchup where you got a team that's got a history of being loose with the ball and a group of guards that maybe are a little better with their hands than we typically see at Michigan State. So next key would be staying aggressive and that specifically uh, Walker Hall and Hauser. Yeah. Tyson Walker, I thought was great in the grand Valley game. I love the way he played. We talked about it. I can't recall one situation where he passed on a shot that I thought he should have taken. And boy, I mean, pick a game last year <laughs> and you could probably count at three or four occasions in every game where he passed on open looks he was not doing that. And the word Izzo has been more effusive in his praise around Tyson Walker's offseason than anybody else on the team. He's the guy who always gets mentioned first. And I can see why. Watching him play that Grand Valley game, if he plays with that mentality the rest of the season, I will take whatever the results are because I'm confident enough in who he is as a player 
that if he has solved that aggression issue, he'll be fine. He'll be better than fine. Uh, the other two guys you mentioned, Hall and Hauser, I thought, I guess I didn't think Joey wasn't aggressive. He was in foul trouble. He couldn't do much. He could, he, yeah. But I thought when he was in there playing, I thought he was, I thought he was looking for a shot. You know, he was trying to do things. Malik Hall had kind of a very Malik Hall game, kind of absent in the, for a lot of the first half. And then in the second half, he really showed up in stretches and they, you know, they played through him a little bit in the post and got good results out of it, blah, blah, blah. And he, and Malik also showed the full range of what he can do. I think he hit three triples. If I remember correctly, he at least hit. Two. Yeah. He was three of five. Yep. Yeah. And he, yet he was also effective in the post. You know, he's got that. I know last year we talked about um, he reminds me, his post game reminds me a little bit of Aaron Henry's the way where he can, he could get the ball facing up on the perimeter and then kind of slowly work his way into post position. Um, It's methodical, but it's very effective. If you've got a guy who's patient enough to do it and Malik at his best is so he showed the good side, but again, you look back at it, you say, well, where was, where was he in the first half? That can't, that can't be Michigan state for them to be at their best. Malik Hall needs to be a guy who you walk away from a game thinking, boy, he was engaged the whole way. He was a presence the entire time he was on the floor. And that doesn't mean he goes out and scores 35 a night, but it does mean that you don't see these long stretches where he's just invisible. That's where what Michigan State really can't afford. They need him to be a more consistent presence. Even if he's not scoring, just as a guy who the opponent has to deal with as a threat, you know, when you, when you kind of disappear, it makes it too easy on the opponent. I would, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but my suspicion is that he only had a three rebounds that game. But I, I bet you those three rebounds came when he was scoring. That just his activity level was higher, aggressiveness. Because he right there, the the periods where Malik Hall is assertive, he is an All Big Ten player. I don't think there's much disputing that, but there are enough periods where he's not engaged that he's not at all big 10 player overall. That equation needs to change. So that's something I'm looking for now by all accounts, he was fantastic against Tennessee. He's reportedly had 25 points to lead MSU in that game. So that would be an encouraging sign, right? But then grand Valley he was only intermittently engaged. It can't be that way. You know, Northern Arizona is a team I'm sure Michigan State expects to come in and beat pretty easily. Malik Hall doesn't need to play as if his mindset is that. He needs to play as if it's Gonzaga. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, because this, this is your tune-up, obviously. So then we already touched on it a little bit, but number four key would be ball pressure. And I think, you know, you look at the guards, obviously, getting all those steals. And I feel like uh, the only difference I'd say between Walker and Hogard is Hogard is is more of a, a guy who strips you, as, and then uh, Walker's a guy who kind of pokes it out, and that yeah, off the ball, yep, where right, whereas Tyson actually takes it from the guy he's guarding, yeah, I think that's I think that's true, um, yeah, I'm gonna be interested to see, I, you know, it, I didn't feel like I was watching a different program, but it just felt like. 
Michigan State's guards in that Grand Valley game were just a little more aggressive, playing a little higher line defensively. And um, that's intriguing because I think they've got guys who could do that. Here's another way that it matters. And this is maybe a little more of a subtle point. But, you know, with all the worry about the five spot, right? Yeah. One of the big one of the big reasons people worry about that, of course, is they have visions of what happened too often to MSU in the post against these gargantuan <laughs> opposing fives, right? Yeah. Well, how do you combat that if you don't have you don't have a Xavier Tillman? You don't even have a Marcus Bainham who might be able to especially let's go with Xavier Tillman. You don't have a guy who can body up one on one and bring stiff opposition against an opposing five. What do you do? Well, the most obvious way. And the first thing most fans think about is, well, you can double. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we know Tom Izzo doesn't like doubling and historically he does it only as a last resort because he's just not, again, it goes back to the ball pressure stuff, right? He's, he's not a guy who wants to gamble and doubling is gambling in a sense, because if you can beat the double, somebody's somebody's got an open shot, you know. So it just becomes a question of whether the offense can can move the ball out of it and find the open man, and then they'll have an open look. That's not how Izzo wants to play. Izzo's defensive philosophy has always been play people straight up and try to get them to take a low percentage shot they don't really want to take. Mm-hmm. You know, and that they have a lower success rate in converting. That's it. It sounds simple, but that's really it. Doubling doesn't square with that philosophy. But another way you could do it is you make it harder to get the ball into the post in the first place. And ball pressure, good ball pressure, can be a big, big part of that. So you wonder, at least I wonder, is that something that Michigan State can utilize with this perimeter group effectively enough that that maybe takes some of the pressure off of the post players. Yeah. And, 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 and digging down too, right. That'd be the other thing you could see them doing that a lot. too. Yes. And that's something, right. Absolutely. Same thing goes with, with those perimeter guys being a big part of it. Right. That's a way you get kind of that doubling effect, but as long as you're, your diggers are responsible. You're not necessarily giving up the wide open look. It's a balance. And, you know, some guys and some teams have been better at it than others, but um, you're right. That's another thing worth mentioning too. I'm not sure that Northern Arizona is going to be the best test of any of this, although they do have that, you know, point forward as a foreman who operates out of the post. So, We'll see. We'll see. But it's something that occurs to me that maybe could end up being uh, a way that Michigan State deals with um, opposing big men is by relying on their guards to just make it harder to get the ball in there in the first place. Generally, if you're a little undersized too, trying to front those those fives as well to, to prevent the entry pass is something that hopefully, you know, Sissoko, if he gets a little bit more familiar with what he where he's supposed to be uh he might be able to do that a little bit more too because he's quick enough maybe to get around you know and stay in position michigan state's never been a big front post team either 
if you look back historically. But yeah, it's another thing to watch and see if maybe that's an adjustment that they make at times. Um, again, they don't they don't typically do a lot of that, but we'll see. Okay, number five in a shocking revelation and turn of events is not actually turnovers for a key to the game. It's it's actually post touches. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm backing <laughs> off the turnovers for now. I mean, I'm sure we'll get around to it, but but honestly, it's not the biggest it's not the biggest thing to me. If if you clean up these other things, like if Michigan State's doing the job as a defensive rebounding group, the turnovers are okay. Fourteen turnovers, fifteen. All right. As long as the rebounding's okay, it offsets that, sure, you know. Yeah. But so I, I, I chose instead to talk about post touches. Um, I actually think there's the potential for Michigan State, for which is funny to say, given all the consternation about the five. I think this should be, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, when we look back at this season in March, we are going to say. This was an improved team in terms of post-scoring from a year ago. Now, one reason that's easy to say is they have a guy, Kohler, who even if he's only playing, say, between 10 and 15 minutes a game, is going to do enough. that He's, he's better than anybody they had last year in that phase of the game. But not a doubt in my mind. I mean, you saw flashes of it against Grand Valley, and you're going to continue to see them. But – I think there are some other guys that can help here too. I, Monty Sissoko, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think this, I think this was Jim Comperoni. I want to credit it appropriately, but I think it was Jim who said he mentioned being at a practice. It was, he mentioned being at a practice, um, sitting next to a couple of Xavier Booker's coaches at um, Cathedral in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. the MSU 2023 recruit. And they're watching the practice, and Sissoko made a move in the post where he went up for a right-hand hook where his, you know, his hand, basically, he was up high enough that the ball was being shot downward. <laughs> and they looked, they looked at him and said, when did MSU get Dikembe Mutombo? <laughs> you know, and he hit the shot up. Yeah, so. right. And, and we saw flashes of a hook game last year. If you remember, oh, yeah. there would be occasions where Marty would show that. Go back to the Grand Valley game. He hit that baseline turnaround jumper, a very nice move. I'm not saying Marty Sissoko is going to be Nick Ward, but I think he will give them some post-production. I think it's, let's put it this way. I see no reason why he can't be as effective as, say, Marcus Bainham was last year in that phase of the game, which is not a high bar because Marcus actually did more of his scoring as a face-up shooter. Yes. But he would occasionally do something on the blocks, and I think Mahdi will do at least that much. And then I look at the two guys at the four. I look at Joey Hauser and Malik Hall. Each of those guys is capable of doing more and be more efficient on the blocks on a consistent basis than we've seen in the past. We've seen flashes of it from both of them. Uh, I think we will see more of it this year than we saw a year ago. So you add all those things up, I think Michigan State will be better. But I want to see how often in this game they actually look to get the ball in the post. Because to me, and 
I realize this is not necessarily the most modernist thinking when it comes to the game, but I am still a firm believer that playing inside out is the safest way to assure that you're getting consistently good looks. It, it does mean, and this is where I'm okay with the analytics types. It only makes sense if you've got guys in the post who are actually efficient down there, who, when they look to shoot, convert at a high rate. If you're just doing it to do it, you're forcing it down there and you're missing a lot of five foot hook shots. Well, that's not helping anything, but if, if you're sufficiently efficient, it really is a great way to play because you force defenses to contort, to, to account for what you're doing inside. And that's going to lead generally speaking to better quality looks on the perimeter when you can kick it back out and move the ball. And I think when you look at the team last year, I mean, you had Marcus Bingham, who to your point, he was not a post scorer. He would face up, but he's always like eight, 10 feet from the basket. And you think this guy's like six eleven. Why can't he go inside? He just, I don't know if he just didn't have the strength. And so you really had just marble who could score inside and he played about the same amount of minutes. You, you're going to guess that Kohler's going to be playing. So do you think that Kohler's an upgrade over marble? Probably yes. offensively. I, I think and, exactly. And so your point, Sissoko likes to be as good as marble was and that's, or as a uh, Bingham was. And that's not, like you said, not a high bar. I, you could definitely see that happening. And so you could see them being better. Yeah, I, I do think they're going to be better. I really do. I mean, I'm saying that as if it's some, you know, grand proclamation. I don't really <laughs> think it's going that much out on a limb. I think they will be better than they were last year in the post. But um, what I want to see early on, I'm not even so much hung up on well, how many points in the paint do they score. There, there'll come a time for that kind of stuff. I'm just more interested in, how even if they're not getting a shot, just moving the ball inside for post touches, I want to see how regularly they're able to do it because that will tell me something about intent and how their players are actually functioning within the offense. And if it's a lot, if we're seeing the ball moving inside on a, at a good clip, that to me is a positive indicator. Right. Yeah, I definitely think that's going to be important. And you see Izzo emphasize that I feel like every game, I feel like coming out of the halftime especially, he's he's upset with how many touches. Because the first play is almost always inside to someone. And last year, throwing inside of Bingham was oftentimes you're just getting a you know a short jumper. And that's really not what I think Izzo wants. And so I think that hopefully this year you're going to get more of an actual post you know, attempt. Well, again, just, you know, get the ball, get the ball inside. I mean, Kohler showed showed what it can do in his brief stance. It wasn't just the times he took shot attempts, but it was getting the ball inside and then he kicks back out, yep. you know, for an open look for somebody. Those are that that's where you really get the benefit of it. If you believe that Michigan state should be a good three point shooting team again, which I think they have designs on being, well, that's only going to help you be even better. Oh, I mean, it's just, sure. it's, the bottom line is the more space you've got, the bigger the wind, the shot window is the theoretically, at least the better your results should be. So you should want to play that way Force defenses to account for you inside. It's going to make you better outside. All right. So I guess look at the game. We have a, 
the line in the game is 21 point favorite Michigan State. I think this is if there's a game where Michigan State's going to score 100 points, this sure feels like the kind of game where they where they could do it. You know, defensively, you can see them getting a lot of uh, what the turnovers, for touchdowns. That what always says. And uh, yeah, I, it just it seems like this is a, this has got to be the weakest team they have on the schedule. I I'm not sure about Brown, but I think they got to be worse than Brown even on Ken Palm. I, I would, uh, you know, they're, it's funny. They're actually in the preseason. I think they're in the two sixties. Oh, okay. And Ken Palm they're, they're, they're projected to be a little bit better, which I'm positive is a function for the most part of just the fact that they have returning players, Sure. you know, because part of that equation is always in some way. I mean, it's a little bit of a black box the way he does it, but, um, some of it I'm sure is contingent upon returning production what percentage of your points, rebounds, et cetera, are coming back because that's generally seen to be a positive, as we said, in this case, maybe, maybe not. But um, yeah, they're expecting to be improved, but your point still may stand. I didn't look at where Brown is, but they'd be the only other team that would be a rival for them. Uh, The only thing I would say about the scoring is you just never know in a game like this, do they come in, trying to slow the tempo, make it a low possession game and try to keep it competitive that way. And and, uh, it's absolutely a truth. It is much easier to slow a fast team down than it is for a fast team to speed a slow team up. Michigan state may get there with, with turnover creation in this game. It's possible, but, um, it just depends on how Northern Arizona is looking to play. And I don't look in their exhibition game. They scored like 114 points, but <laughs> they were playing. They were playing. I think it might've even been like an Indian reservation opponent. Okay. It was, it was not, it wasn't even like a, you know, like a standard D two program. They won by like 50 points. They broke a hundred. I don't know what to conclude from that in terms of how they'll look to play against Michigan State. We know they can score, I guess. <laughs> well, against that opposition, yes, yeah. but um, we don't know what it's going to look like against a, an opponent with a pulse. I'm pretty sure if Wisconsin could play a hundred games, they'd never score a hundred, no matter who they're playing. I don't know. That's probably yeah, <laughs> but that's what I mean. Think about it. How often do you see? somebody even if wisconsin gets beaten even even if they get beaten by a decent amount how often do you even see somebody break 80 against yeah, right they exactly just, if you if if you are if that is what you do is play patiently you're 98 times out of 100 you're probably going to be able to keep the game relatively, relatively slow paced, at least that's just, it's an easier thing to do than the converse. I always feel like, and I don't, and I don't know the mentality of these coaches who come in on these, you know, pay for play games, you know, where you're getting paid by the opponent to come in and lose. Right. Uh, you know, you got to coming in thinking your chance of winning is one in a thousand or something like that, or two. In a th- I mean, it's very, very low. And so do you just say, let's just work on our game and however we normally play, we're just going to play the best we can of the way we play, or do we try and change who we are in order to pull off an upset. I mean, I would tend to think that you're probably, especially the season starting zero zero, you're probably just trying to play your game and just see how you do against really good competition, as opposed to trying to have some sort of crazy game plan. That is, that is the eternal question. And the answer to that is it depends on who you're talking about. Different coaches 
tend to approach it differently. And they might also approach it differently depending upon where they are in the game. Oh, sure. They might say, you know what? Let's give our let's try to give ourselves a chance to win and and see how it goes. And then if it's if it's not happening, then we we kind of revert to working on our own stuff. And, you know, we don't worry so much about whether that's ideal from a game plan perspective. But I think most coaches enter these games wanting to try to win. And so that, you know, that means in a matchup like this, well, there's, there's one equation really. And the one equation is you slow it down. You make it a low possession game. You hope you're hitting your threes and you hope Michigan state isn't. And then you're trying to give yourself a chance in the last five minutes that you've got something to play for. Right. Um, it's rarely successful, as you pointed out, in these games. These kind of matchups, typically, the talent will eventually win out. And, you know, we're not, we're also, it's not like we're, look, if we were talking about a Montana or a Montana State from the big sky, who are teams that have been in the higher end of the standings there in recent years and are expected to be so again, all right, that kind of team might actually have a real chance where you say, oh, yeah look, if we can just slow this thing down and give ourselves a chance late, you know, you would look at it and say, all right, they, they might have a chance to do that. Maybe Northern Arizona, it's, it's harder to envision for a variety of reasons, but you know, it'll be interesting to see what kind of tempo the game is played at. That's for sure. This is, if you had to circle a time when maybe Steven Izzo scores before he finishes his collegiate career, this would certainly be one of the higher opportunities you know, games in a regular season game. Yes, this would be Steven, uh, Steven Izzo, Nick Sanders, Davis Smith watch. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I tell you, Izzo, I don't, I thought when he shot that three against Grand Valley, there, there wasn't anyone within 12 feet when he started going up for that three and it got blocked still. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. That guy, the window of time for shot release is a different thing depending upon who you're talking about. Yeah, no. <laughs> and yeah, that, it looked like he had an open, a really yeah. open look. And then it just didn't. Go. I don't think, I mean, I feel like the, the guy who came out and blocked it was, was in the, in the box. I don't think he was even, he was even, uh, he closed quickly and you know, it's tough being five, nine. I can feel that. Well, but here, yeah, here's what it goes to show you the difference between even a guy who might be a reserve at the D two level and a guy who's, I mean, let's be honest, Steven Izzo is not even a conventional walk-on no, no. at a Michigan State, right? He didn't play a lot at Lansing Catholic, for example, in high school. So there's a there's a big difference there athletically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just the bottom line. Well, I'm looking forward to getting back in the Breslin, grabbing an ice cream sandwich and uh, enjoying the game. I, I don't know uh, anything else about the game. I think that's probably pretty much it. it. We'll just kind of see how things go. And, and I, you know, until we get a couple of games in our belt, we're, we're not going to really know what this team can do because Grand Valley, it's still, you know, a little bit weird lineups. You know, I know Izzo said he played straight. He didn't really. We don't know how much Aikens is going to play. Our expectation is he won't start. So probably the same starting five as the Grand Valley game. And long term, long term, as we, I think we touched on it in the last one, that's going to be, the really interesting question is whenever the point is that Jaden Akins 
is truly back to being Jaden Akins, whether that's immediately, which I kind of doubt, or whether it's, you know, later in November where you feel like, all right, he's, he's essentially a hundred percent ready to go in, in all respects, conditioning, you know, health, whatever. What does Michigan state do? Because you have a very interesting conundrum with this, Aikens, Hall, Walker, Hauser group. I think Sissoko is safe at the five for now. Hogard is going to be your one. But the two, three, and four starting, I mean, right. is going to be very interesting. And I think, I think I posted this on our message board, but I really do believe it. I think where you end up has as much or more to do with the psychology of these players and who can handle and embrace and thrive in a sixth man role versus who might feel they, they need to start to be at their best. It's going to be as much about that as anything else. Cause you can make arguments any direction among those four players that you want to. I mean, there's an argument that says, look, Tyson Walker is probably your best pure offensive player on the perimeter in terms of scoring. Mm-hmm. And I'd buy that. Malik Hall might be your best player, period. Jade Nakins might be your best player, period. Your best two-way player, for sure, once he's healthy. Joey Hauser is a guy we've seen just do it just enough to know that he's capable of having huge games. And he's also somebody that I think there's some question about in terms of psychology. Would he be able to handle being a sixth man? Or does he kind of need to start in order to be at his best? A lot of questions. And and that's what we're going to see as a um, start to figure out yeah. as as we move through this month. Yeah, the question will be, can you can you change your starting lineup without making people feel like, you know, if you make it matchup dependent, like, oh, we're going up against a smaller team or big, maybe you feel like you're, it's more advantageous to start Walker over Aikens or something like that. But you expect all six of those to kind of split that, well, I should say those those three or four to play those three positions, you'd expect them to all play about the same amount of minutes, you know, varying on game, what's going on in the game and foul trouble and stuff, right? They are all, look, the top six guys in Michigan State's rotation are all going to play. I would imagine, I'd be surprised if any of them were much below, say, 25 minutes a night. Those guys are going to play a lot. They'll all probably, all four of those guys, I would expect, will play, let's say, more minutes than Mati Sissoko probably yeah, right. plays. You know, even though he's a guy I think is, at least for now, I would expect to unquestionably be the starter. Um, so it's not a question of, oh, is your role reduced? It's it's really, truly about the psychology of it. You know, some guys, if you, if you think back, the classic example is the first one in Izzo's career. Morris Peterson yeah, right. as a junior was pretty clearly MSU's second best player behind Mateen Cleaves. But he embra- and, and was clearly, and this is no disrespect to Jason Klein, who started at the three that year. Morris Peterson was clearly a better player than Jason Klein. But he came off the bench. He came off the bench because he gave Izzo something in that role that he wanted. And I think Izzo determined 
he would be able to handle it better and give MSU more than maybe Jason Klein would as a reserve. And they would then get the best out of Jason Klein if he were starting. That worked. And he's had other guys over the years that have thrived in a reserve role. You know, Draymond Green is a sophomore. You might have been able to make a case that he should have been starting. Um, but he didn't. And he thrived in that role, gave MSU a real weapon off the bench. So it's got to be a guy who embraces it, you know, and as often as not, that's also going to be a decision made in conjunction with maybe another guy not being able to be as effective in that role, kind of needing to start games for whatever reasons. And by the way, I want to be clear to in saying this. I am not of the opinion or under the impression that any of what we're talking about here is an ego deal. Right. Like, I don't think, I don't think Joey Hauser sort of says, if I'm not a starter, this, you know, I don't think that's it. I think it's just, my understanding is it's just that he seems to be able to get into the flow of things better. If he starts games as opposed to coming off the bench, some guys actually, react well to being able to sit for the first four minutes or whatever it is and watch what's happening and then come out and get in the flow, you know? So does Michigan state have a guy who fits that mold more than the others? We don't know yet. Sure. Yeah. Some things you can certainly, at least if not a, nothing else, you may get a feel for how the game is getting called from a officiating standpoint. And right. That and, and just you start, to, you see, you maybe get a chance to see some things, even if it's just for a few minutes, that help you then when you do hit the floor, hit the ground running, so to speak, as opposed to having to feel your way through it. It's just different guys. I mean, God, we got countless examples of this. If you if you go back to the the uh, the bad boys, I mean, Vinny Johnson might be the yeah. most effective third man I've ever or, or sixth man I've ever seen third guard i was going to say vinnie johnson could have started almost anywhere else in the nba but in detroit he was eternally reserved but he was great he thrived in that role you know that's what you want you want a guy who's able to embrace it the way amoris peterson did said i might be sixth man on this team but i'm going to be first team all big 10 <laughs> and he was you know because he made it work all right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for the for this episode. Again, if you want to join our Spartan community, please join us at, over at our website at thefinalfourisnottheschedule.com. There you can sign up for free to our forum message boards like uh, Rod was referring to there, having discussions about minute allocation and other things we're talking about, certainly uh, that are going on in the Spartan world. Um, you know, we're at the point we had originally thought we're going to do an Ask Me Anything if we get enough patrons at the Patreon page. We're now getting enough donations from uh from all of you it's either through venmo or paypal and patrons on the site that you know we're we're gonna at least try to take a question maybe at the end of each show so if you have a question you want to send to us feel free to uh, drop us a line at tffinots uh, at gmail.com or at eric at tiffnots.com you can do that too uh, so i guess we'll uh, we'll meet after the game and until next time the final four is on the schedule go green at Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. 
the ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.